What's up, Southwest Virginia? Welcome back to Beats, Brews, and Buddies, episode nine, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Travis Schmidt. This is Jeremy Price, the co-host. The co-host. <laughs> On today's Beats, we are going to talk about studying in L.A., what it's like to have a rock star dad around Roanoke, and always, <laughs> <laughs> and as always, uh, community culture, collaboration, and chemistry with our good buddy, Alex Gross, ladies and gentlemen, give it up. What's up, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming, Alex. Yeah. We appreciate it. We oh, do. yeah. I'm so excited for this. I've been excited for this for a few weeks now. I'm glad it worked out. Now yeah. I'm out of school. Me too. So, man. Alex, um, before we get started, we like to talk about the brew, just so our audience knows that we are drinking and having fun up in here. So, Jeremy... What are we drinking tonight? Well, you mentioned the fact that Alex liked red wine, so I'm like, yeah, we haven't done that yet. Last week was coffee. Um, and we, 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 we don't, It's not always alcohol, let me just say. That's true. Uh, we've done coffee, we've done some tea, but we've never done wine, so I went by the uh, the shop. I don't, I don't remember the name right now. And got the Llama Malbec, 2019 Malbec Old Vine. How's it taste, guys? It's actually it's really, really good. good yeah. Cheers Ooh. to episode nine. Episode nine. Let me get Cheers. a clink. Oh, it's so You don't weak. have to clink. <laughs> My neighbor's nickname is Clink, by the way. He must be a really cool guy. I like think he's a mechanic guy. of sorts. Anyway, back to Alex. Alex started music in seventh grade with a teacher named Ken Wilson, who lived down the street. Ken was gracious enough to let Alex do chores and then pay to pay for lessons. I love that. Uh, he started with drums, actually, and then switched to the guitar, to the guitar and then bass. I was actually asking Jeremy if he ever, he ever seen you play a guitar. He I didn't like, know. I've never, nah. never seen you pick up a guitar. So, uh, and bass is what you stuck with, right? Yeah. And um, then you took lessons with uh, Jake Dempsey of Roanoke and started taking regular lessons with uh, Cam McLaughlin. Yeah, I, I took that? one lesson with Jake, and uh, basically I was just like, "How do you slap? How do you play How slap, you slap bass?" And thing? he was like, "Here's a flea song." Did he and, teach you? Because yeah. I don't think he really like. It was it was it was weird. I was young, man, but uh, he yeah, he taught me how to do um, the cover they do the higher was, ground, yeah, higher ground. Oh, oh yeah, and <laughs> I, that was like my first like real slap experience was with Jake. Funny, you know, Jake. Jake got mentioned on the last podcast, by the way. I do remember that. So we're Jake, gonna, Jake did. Jake Nemsey. So we're, we got to, I'll reach out to him and see if we can get I've on. been writing down anybody that's been getting uh, two hits or more from our guests and that need, they need to go on our list of who needs I'll, to come on. I'll with. reach so out to Jake. Right up, Please. Jake. That'd be awesome. Um, so at, with Cam, uh, it started like, it sounds like you learned from him at the Jefferson, um, Jefferson Center, the lab. There, yeah. The music um, lab. Yeah. So I moved back from New Jersey, actually. I was living in Jersey for a couple of years and that's where I met Ken when I was really young. Oh, cool. And um, when I got back here, my dad was like, you got to get lessons with this guy, Cam. And he was like, apparently uh, my dad taught Cam like a couple lessons back at Ridenauer when he was working there like a while ago when he was young yeah. and just was like, I, I'm not a bass player. You need to move on to this, <laughs> to this Bernard, I think. But yeah. um, yeah, he did move to Bernard. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, then so he was I was bugging him after he told me I was like you got to get me these lessons it took him like forever to just get me in but mm. I finally did and it was consistent and it was a big deal for me really that's fantastic uh so after that you started singing uh in choir at Stanton River under Nicole Schmidt yeah um and played in the band under Kevin is it Ramey Ramey yep. okay um so Nicole 
I'm assuming this is the same Nicole Schmidt that's at Patrick Henry High School now. Exactly. Um, at the time, she was Bonfiglio, but then she got married while I was there. Look at that. Yeah. So, yeah, small world. So I work with Miss Nicole now, and my last name is Schmidt. And we're not related. Um, this was, uh, and it says this was all the same time. When you graduated, um, you got into Berkeley College of Music, which you decided not to attend. And then for an entire year, played bass uh, gigs around Roanoke with many different bands, such as uh, Tony Cam and the Funk All-Stars, Back in Time, uh, Harbor, Apple Butter, <laughs> Apple, Apple Butter Soul. I don't know why that's hard for me to read. <laughs> Apple Butter Soul. Um Renee Ruth, and uh, you filled in uh, many other places, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, and then you played in a band uh, with one of the people who would ask you to go to Lynchburg College to play bass and study music. Um, you decided to take an offer and study for two years under um, is Ed, Med, Ed McKinnis. Ed McKinnis, yeah. Uh, he Brian was, Mesco. Chris, yeah. Let me finish this. Ed McKinnis, Brian Mesco, Chris Sharp, Chris McGee, uh, Johnson Scott. And all the fantastic teachers at college. So go ahead. Yeah, um, I I actually so I played in Back in Time with uh, Chris Sharp, who was okay. um, he was a trombone player, and he was one of the teachers at uh, Lynchburg College at the time. And I was like midway through the year of just like gigging hard, and that was when I was meeting everybody. Sure. And um, he was just talking about it, and I had the idea. I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. And they gave me pretty decent financial aid, and so I. How just, old were you? Oh, man, I was right out of high school, so I was 18? like 18, 19. Man. Yeah, probably 19 at the time. Playing gigs at 18, that's oh, like a lot of gigs at 18. I think that's really cool. And I, I want to mention that he is uh, he is our youngest guest to date, so that's um, that's really? pretty exciting. Yeah. Just turned 25. Good for you, man. Youngin', you're quarter century old. All right, so this is where you um, picked double bass up as well. Um, you played drums in the jazz combo, as well as upright and electric in the big band and upright in the orchestra. During this time, you continue to play more gigs with some of the old bands, that, uh, some of your older bands that I guess you played with, right? Yeah, I was playing with Tony Cam for a long time. I, I stopped playing with him like right when I went to L.A. And um, Actually, a band called Flat Five with uh, a guy named Josh Barling, trumpet player. And I was the OG bass player for that band. He, oh. he and I were kind of, he asked me to play in that band before anybody. So we just started gigging the jazz mm. the jazz stuff with that. And they're still playing. Uh, they have a, an awesome bass player. His name's Eric Hollinsworth, if you, if you know Eric. I, I don't. I'm, I love, yeah, I love learning new people. Um, so you, you played with some old bands and started to play with many new ones, just as um, so such as uh, Canvas Collective. I like that name, Jordan Jordan Harmon, uh, and was one of the original members. As just like you said, the Flat Five. Alex then transferred to college, uh, Los Angeles College of Music, after two years in Lynchburg. This was a great decision at the time. Um, as the time he spent there, he got to learn some very heavy hitting bass, uh, learn with some very heavy hitting bass players and musicians in general. Um, you had both classes and lessons with, uh, Jerry Watts Jr. Uh, John Avila, is that? John Avila. Avila, yeah. sorry. Of, uh, is that of Oingo Bongo? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you said Peter Boscovich. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kim, Mark Brown, Tim Landers, Billy, uh, is it Coleman? Billy, oh well, Tim plays with Billy Cobham. Okay, and yeah. uh, all the Aldi Viola. Yeah, Aldi Viola. 
Did I say that? Yeah, right? Tim was awesome. He's a Berkeley guy from I I remember a while ago, and he just got those gigs like right out of college. And I had him as a fretless bass teacher. I had him as a blues teacher. Awesome, awesome guy. I had him as a private teacher at a point. That's awesome. It, it, I mean, I'm 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 just in awe with all these names: Steve Jenkins and then Steve Billman, and then uh, you had uh, been in ensembles directed by Mitch Foreman. And I'm gonna let you pronounce that orchestra. Brian Pizzoni. Oh, the uh, the orchestra Mitch played with is my Vishnu orchestra, okay. which is John McLaughlin on guitar. And then Brian Pizzoni, uh, which uh, the Animaniacs. Yeah, he like, was the piano player for all the Animaniacs stuff back in. Oh, back in the, the cartoon. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, he was great. Carlos Camp Cal- uh, Campos. Yeah. And then uh, Steve um, uh, Pemberton. Pemberton. Yeah. Okay. And then finally, you graduated this March, 2022, yeah. man, and has your sights on. Uh, you have your sights on Nashville, but uh, in the time being, you're you're here in at home, and just want to play and get back to the community. Yeah, man. So uh, welcome to Beats Bruising Buddies, <laughs> Alex Gross, dude. Thank hey, you so, so much, guys. Um, man, what a what a what a bio. A uh, lot of names that I have, I don't know any, uh, in all except for. I do know Oingo Boingo. Um, yeah. It's a huge world. Huge, music is a huge, huge world. Yeah. yeah it's a gigantic world. And, you know, he's out here studying with people <clears throat> who have supported big names. So then they aren't necessarily big names themselves, but they played in direct support of those big names. And, man, the list is impressive. Um, are you happy with your move out there? Oh, man. I, I, L.A. was really hard to live in just being from here because yeah. it's such a – it's, it's like a buzz in the city. It's mm-hmm. always something, and it's always, like, tense. But the people I met and the people I got to play with and learn from, just uh, amazing. It's a completely yeah. different world, you know? Well, that's that's where my first question for you is. Talk about your experience out west and how the music uh, and what you learned out there different uh, differs from your hometown. Oh, man. I mean, well, L.A. differs from everywhere, I think. Yeah. L.A. is, like, its own, its own thing, and... As far as the the music I got to play here and then learn there, I took a lot from just playing and gigging in Roanoke. Like mm-hmm. I had I had the ear going into that into school. Just like that's why I could get a lot of the stuff that I did yeah. is because I had the ear to to help me, you know, keep up with other people that knew more than I did. And when I got there, I got humbled real fast. Mm-hmm. I was a yeah, I got humbled really fast. I mean, Jerry alone has played with some. I mean, stadiums, and he's played with some amazing South America guys, with everybody. And he was, at first, really hard on me. Like, he was pushing me to to really learn, and something switched in my brain eventually after a couple quarters where I was like, oh, maybe I should be more open and just a lot more receptive to what these people have to say. Yeah. I don't know everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of music out there. Oh, yeah. On the music out there, see, I I got to play with uh, one of my first guys I got to play with there. His name's Francis Carell. He has recently become very TikTok famous, like opening for Andy Grammer now. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I got to, like, just playing with him and realizing there's a real talent in pop music, like more than just what you would expect. There's real talent behind the writing and the, the, the singing skills. I mean, you have to have that to be in that, that world. It was really interesting to play that stuff with him and to know that I could do more than just play four chords as people always talk about. Mm-hmm. L.A. has a lot of pop. L.A. has a lot of pop, but once you're out there, you realize how much work it takes to, to be in that part of the industry. 
Yeah. It's interesting, man. It, um, pop is, you know, it's often, I don't want to say frowned upon, but the stepchild of, of music, right? Mm-hmm. I love pop. I've always loved pop. I've mentioned it here on the podcast where I always loved it. Yeah. <clears throat> My friends were loving rock and roll and kind of giggle at me when I listened to some something that was a little more bubblegum. Yeah, true. It's just it's just four chords, okay? You can do a lot with four chords. Yeah. You can you can you can paint that la- landscape many many ways if you know how to do it. And if you can do it under the radar, it just shows if some something about your talent, your ability. Uh, it's art. And you know, country. Exactly. Country, you can love country, old school country. That's generally a few chords yeah. too. Mm-hmm. So you know, it gets a bad rap. Pop music gets a it bad does. rap, and I get it. it. I get it. It can be corny, but it can also be really fun if a bunch of people are having a good time. I've heard, get, I've heard it get a bad rap because of the structure, not necessarily the chords, but the structure of like, okay, we're gonna do a chorus yeah. fourteen times. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I don't. I mean, but that's how. To me, that's what the definition of pop is. You 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 hear it and you know it and like it's there. It's it in your head. Literally yeah. translates to popular. Yeah. So oh, that's it changes throughout time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Michael Jackson was the king of pop at you know, at that point. Pop that was pop music. Yeah. And no one doubts his musicality. You know? Yeah. No not, one doubts that not he, one bit. He'd go up there and sing a part to a guitar player and it would just be a little ahead or a little behind. No. And he, Michael wouldn't necessarily say that's ahead or behind. He would just keep singing it to him over to get it right. I mean you know, that's an artist. Yeah, and, and for sure. Pop, country, progressive, whatever you want to say. I mean, jazz was pop at one point. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Jazz was considered the popular music at that mm-hmm. time. And it, it was just as frowned upon <clears throat> by the people who weren't used to it as what's happening now. Did you mm-hmm. play a lot of jazz out there? I played a lot of jazz everywhere. Yeah. That's something that, that, that doesn't change. It's a universal. Through, through cities, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of jazz everywhere. That's it, That makes me happy to hear. Especially in a school setting. It's just, if you're in school, you're playing jazz at some point, mm. which is why a lot of people get really tired of it. Yeah. And I mean, I went through my phase, man. I went through my phase. Where I was like, I'm sick of this, man. But once you, once you leave it for a little while and you come back, you realize, wow, all of this stuff really translates to everything else. And mm-hmm. then you come back and you really just internalize it. Yeah. It's a different, man. It's a language. It's people are talking to each other and it's, it's really fun. It's jammy. It's kind of like the Roanoke scene a little bit. Everyone's just having a good time and just jamming on tunes. The jazz, jazz music is like that. Unless yeah. you're in like a setting where it's like really specific, but a real true jazz jam is the same thing. It's people drinking, people trying cool, interesting solos or just playing forms. We've, we've talked a lot about that on the podcast. Communicating. Of, yeah, of, of not only that, but just the Roanoke scene and there being a great, a lot of good jam bands yeah. out there. Yeah, man. So, mm. Yeah. So anything else from Los Angeles that in comparative to to here that that you wanna you wanna add? I mean, there's so much stuff. Yeah. There's so much different stuff out there. I mean, just the first of all, the age gap. I'll say that in LA, the age gap I had to work with versus some of the age gap I have here is completely different. Younger? So much younger. Oh my god. I mean, everyone there is wanting is some people's expectations there they are kind of of that younger like oh i want to you know be famous i want to do this and they think it's easy and like want to just do it but the the fact that there's so much younger people so many younger people to work with and grab from mm-hmm. it it helps you in a way where you can really tell who's good and who's not good yeah and who who knows what to do and that kind of separates the the thinking of it's easy you know it, it separates the thinking because you get to see who really has it and how much work they actually have to put in for their music and the people who just think it's expected and given. Mm. And that's something that L.A. has a lot. They have a lot of a lot of that. 
people just kind of expect it to come to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they're in LA. Because they're in LA. Yeah. Which yeah, yeah. is not necessarily how it works. I mean, you can pull from a big pool of musicians there. And there's a lot of opportunity to play with big, big people, but it doesn't just happen because you're there. You have to do the same thing you do in Roanoke to get those gigs as you do in LA to get those Oh, gigs. that's important. I'm glad you said that. No, um, I, yeah. Because it's work. Yeah. You know, we talk about it all the time. Music is work. And it, if you're successful at it at any level, chances are you put some work into it. Yeah. If you're successful at it at higher level, let's say there's 10 levels of music and you're successful at level two or level three, you have put some time. Mm-hmm. And that is, it, it's rare that that is not the case. Just so it's it's good to hear. Also, I mean, two things with Los Angeles. It is it's L.A. right. It's it's uh I don't know that it's the pop capital of the world. Be TV and radio and music and all that, but I, I would assume that. But the population as well. There's a lot of people. I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a, a lot of people, like you said, a pool to um, pull from. So they might feel like like you said, it's expected. I'm from L.A. I'm fairly talented. I'll get somewhere. Meanwhile, you have people traveling from Roanoke who already had a good ear, as you said, going out there to uh, get in this giant population and make yourself better. So kudos to you for doing it. There's a lot of folks that, that wouldn't, and I'm um, proud of you. It was, it's a big decision for sure. And when you get there, it's, it, it is, it's scary, man. It's, especially being young when you do it, being in a, the opposite side of the country. Man. You know, and coming from a place like Roanoke, which I mean, Roanoke is not huge, but it's not tiny. But like, I'm from really from Bedford County. Yeah, I know. So going from there mm-hmm. to LA, one of the craziest places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a lot at the time, but it it did make me grow a lot as not just a musician, but a person. Do you want to talk about the demographics uh, out there and like how that played a role with with who you are now? Oh man, just the. The pure population out there, and, you know, I, I left here with, I couldn't, like, drive in a city. I was, like, nervous about it. <laughs> Roanoke scared me. And, like, I couldn't really put myself out without feeling like, oh, I can't do this. But then when you when you get out there and there you have no choice, mm. it really just, it's, like, almost just jumping in the deep end immediately and learning. Yeah. So I, I much more confident in myself now. I, a, a lot more confident in a good way though like, like I don't know at all like I'm open to stuff but I I know what I what I can do and I know where I what I can't do mm. there, we've talked a little bit in the past few episodes about that strong sense of confidence not overconfidence where you're super cocky and you no one wants to work with you but yeah. the confidence where you know what you're good at and you're and you're you're proud of that with yourself mm-hmm. and and owning that and there's 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 a lot of beauty behind that and I I you owned the fact that you turned down Berkeley, and I want to hear about that. Oh yeah, man. Um, that was more of a financial decision. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. So as, <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. That's all, that's all right. right. <laughs> I, I I got up there, and at the time, since I was just out of high school, it was kind of a weird a weird thing, anyway. Yeah. And because I had never really been outside of Roanoke at that point, and I never really like I gigged with one band where it was kind of given to us because we had like we had a manager. I would kind of book what we had and I would just go play the songs I knew. And so I, I, when I got to Berkeley, I didn't know. I was like, I could play pretty okay, but I was like, Oh, this is crazy. And then you know, me and my dad went up there together and the financial side of it, we just realized how much it was actually going to be. I mean, over, over a hundred thousand dollars, like for almost two years. And so it would be more. 
it, it was just a crazy amount of money for me at the time to even comprehend. And I had already gotten into other schools, so I thought maybe I'll just take a break and I'll see what I can do with the Roanoke scene. I'll see what who I can play with. I'll see how I get. And I ended up really just not regretting that decision in a way. Good for you. I did meet Steve Bailey while I was up there. Oh, funny enough. I, so Steve Bailey, Basic Streams, plays with Victor Wooten, amazing jazz player, super nice guy. I was going to get my mail out of the mail room because I had mailed stuff to myself so I could put it in the dorm room. And I walk in. And I kind of turn to my right and Steve Bailey's just like talking to the male guy. I'm like, you're Steve Bailey? He's like, yeah, man. So I told him the situation. I was like, this is, this is what's going on. He's like, oh, I really hope so. And we talked a little bit. I just couldn't. But like meeting him there and it, it, was, it was crazy. It was crazy. And that was the first little taste I had of what could become L.A. Because running into people like that is not uncommon. No. You know, at all. <laughs> it yeah. was pretty, pretty trippy, man. But yeah, Berkeley was... I. I, I love the people that come out of Berkeley. I think one of my favorite bass players, his name is Jacob Umansky, plays with the band Intervals. You should check them out if you haven't, but came out of Berkeley. There's a lot of awesome talent out of there. And I think it's just, for me at the time, it wasn't right. And now that I've gone through all of what I've done in LA and realized and learned from the, the people I have and had like a real sense of community, I don't regret it for sure. Yeah, you're not going to regret that. And honestly, staying at home for a year, this goes with trades. It goes with any course of study. But staying at home for a year and um, <clears throat> giving, getting into the grind, it's not gonna, you're not going to hurt yourself. Musically speaking, here in Roanoke, that's not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. There's a lot of cats that have left. And you being one of them as you, as you um, traverse these years, you, uh, you know, you're going to be here in and out, and there's going to be some hot shot up and comer, and you're going to be here for him. So that's the whole nature of this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, staying here in Roanoke, there there are some cats that can push you. They're everywhere. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Especially here in this little town. I mean, yeah, big time. There was, I, I, I mean, the guy that got me, so back to Brian Mesco being on this list. One of the first guys that I had as a teacher, the first guy that got me a real gig, he was like, hey, R uh, Renee Ruth is having this audition. And I, I auditioned for Renee in Lynchburg. She's a Lynchburg person. And in the band, Fred Jackson one of the drummers that taught me everything because I started just gigging with him. One of my now really close friends, Matt Billings, plays Keys and Canvas Collective. I mean, I met the right people. Mm -hmm. And those people branched into everything else, all because of Brian Mesco. Yeah, that's cool. I had lunch with him the other day, so if he's listening, shout out for sure. <laughs> we got to get him on, too. I, uh, Brian, he's yeah. on my list, and uh, his son goes the high school I work at so I see him and holler at him in the halls all the time <laughs> when he's going to class just yeah. so you know um, so so Berkeley was a no-go and then we go to Lynchburg and then we go to to LA yeah. tell tell us a little about and tell tell our younger listeners the, that your age too um, that are in college talk talk about your your college experience what was it like did you did you play a lot of gigs when you were in college, or did you just do do the studies? Um, you know, just give give us a little, give us a little bit more than what you did in your. Day. Obviously, you're playing a lot, but I think yeah. what we mean is outside of that. Correct. Yeah. No. Is there time just to go play yeah. and satisfy your heart? I mean, practice. I assume was a big a practice part of that, is something so. I learned how to really do in college because if you didn't, people knew it. You know, people would people could see it. Yeah. And that's another thing that came with the being humbled in L.A., first of all, is you could tell when I didn't practice and I thought I could just show up and do it. But 
I learned very quickly that that's not going to fly with someone who has a real ear for music. And um, as far as my college experience and gigging, uh, they slowed down heavily because I, I couldn't like it, I, I couldn't handle all of it at the time. So I, I picked the, the main bands that I saw were helping me financially and I enjoyed Good. and I stuck with them. And that's where Flat Five came out of. I was like, I was missing a jazz group. I was playing with Tony Cam. I was playing with Canvas on and off, but Canvas was a special thing. It wasn't just like a bar band. They were doing special things. And so I, and then I played with Flat Five, which we were doing the jazz things and, and the going to the bars and really like making money. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I had to slow down for sure because of the amount of stuff I was doing in school. But with that came, I sped up everything else. And that's where you really start. The rubber meets the road in a sense of you've learned all this stuff playing gigs and you, you have the basic level of like, you're probably a little bit more advanced than some of the people around you in college because to put it to use. they're just starting, you know, they, they didn't do what, you know, if you're a gigging musician, they didn't do that. But they have that thing up on you of we can read and we can do all the extra stuff that these people want. And so you have to keep up with that. So that's where all the practicing comes in. And that's where I, the streets in a way of just gigging meet everything else. And that's when it like, you really have to start thinking about what you're doing rather than feeling it as people say. Yeah. And then once you learn all that stuff, then you can feel everything. Because you, you have played it and you've challenged yourself in a way where it's never going to go away. Except for reading. I still have to practice that. <laughs> Most people do, man. I, I know people that read extremely well. And that is their claim to fame. They'll tell you. It's almost like they're vegan. Yeah. Like, hell, you play music, do you read? I know people that do that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think once you spend a lot of time doing it and you start, you know how you feel yourself level up? You may not say it. You might yeah. not call. It, you can feel it. I just leveled up a little of that confidence. Yeah. Yeah. You want to share it. You know. There's there's two sides to that. You can be the great reader. You can feel stuff. They both. You can work mm-hmm. both ways. Definitely. But just you know, hearing you talk about spending time and how you have to work on that, it's just more kudos to you. I mean, it is it is very important to you to be excellent at your craft. And that's all, of all these things we've talked about so far. Like that's what I'm hearing. Stay, Thank you. stay the beginner mind because, yeah. you know, who knows where you'll go. And that's that's the the humbling that happened in LA. Yeah. Was even some of my best teachers were always like showing me new stuff and like always being like, oh, this is crazy. Like we should work on this or just ideas of of not being like, oh, I'm the teacher. I know everything. We like learn together, and that translated to how I feel about everything because I I always want to learn something new. I'm never going to be the best at at everything, but I know that I can try my best to be better than Mm. me. No, I mean... Kind of cheesy, but... No, it's not. I mean, that's what we're doing here. I mean, we're we're trying to learn about this beautiful community that we have. And, I mean, I I just met you today. We've been chatting on Facebook Messenger, but, like, it... I wouldn't know you other than the fact that you're Steve Gross's son. And I wouldn't have actually known that if it wasn't for Jeremy saying, hey, it's Steve Gross's son that wants to come on the show. You know, so I, I think the there's... people I know. No, and that's that's not not a, a, a to make you feel any way. I think no, it's important to to know where we where we lie and where, where we came from, obviously. Yeah, and um, you came from here. And what... I want to know what the stages were. What's the what's the lights? What's the the sound like out there? Like, uh, what's the com- scene? What's like? that scene like compared to Roanoke? Travis um, hasn't been to LA. 
I haven't. No, I want to know. And I, I, I assume a lot of our listeners uh, haven't either. Probably not. I've been a few times. I get out of there as quickly as I can. Yeah. Dude, I'm out. That, I, I go see my friends. I'm like, bye-bye. As I always tell people, they're always asking me, how is it? I was like, it's great to visit. And some of the people are great, but it's a really hard place to live. It just is. And and I heard that in an interview one time, it's spiritually a hard place to live. Oh. And it's just because there's so much buzz and there's so many people with so many ideas and so much energy around there. It's hard to that find. You can you can feel it, you know. Mm. And and when you're from the country and you're not used to helicopters flying over your apartment all the time, every day and things slamming and we had uh, power lines blow up outside of our window at points just like like all that stuff that you're not used to here you're just like oh something's happening (laughs) (laughs) always yeah so this as far as the stages and the gigging while i was out there covid happened so when i first got there i started a band with uh i actually i got asked to be in a band and it ended up being an awesome project that i really loved and covid destroyed it but um, as far as stages and playing, I mean, instead of getting paid to play venues that are dingy, you're paying to play venues that are dingy. In, in L.A.? Yeah. Except for one place I played recently, Molly Malone's. Shout out to that venue. Awesome sound. Great people. But you're not getting paid unless you have a draw out there. You're really, you're doing it out of, I like this music. So it's a lot... I'd say it's a lot more creative in the sense of people are trying to do their own stuff mm-hmm. rather than just play in yeah. front of people. We Not we had a guest a few LA. weeks ago mm-hmm. that that spoke spoke about how he he and his group um, would pay for the venue here at the bureau. I mean, AJ Garrett said that, and I was, I just was like, what <laughs> here? Yeah, and like, and it's a foreign concept for me, and yeah. I, I'm not trying to play ignorant, but like I. Again, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah, yeah. So basically how that works in L.A. and how it is people, venues would ask you and talk to you about it, but then you would buy tickets. Okay. And you would have to sell those tickets to make a certain amount on your money. So you would spend your own money on tickets, and then people would have to buy them so you could make that money back, and so the venue could make their money off of you, basically. Instead of making their money off of people showing up, they're making their money off the musicians that want to play these places because they have names behind them. Like Whiskey A Go Go and the Troubadour, I think is there. Like yeah. all yeah. sorts of venues that are you you've heard those names. Yeah, they're bars that are glorified because of who's played in them, and now they're they're benefiting off of that. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. Oh yeah. Schmidt, oh Schmidt. I have oh. played, and when you go, the thing is with that though, <laughs> L.A. has outside blown. outside of L.A. So like you go to San Diego, you can go north. I've the best gigs I played were all outside of the city. Okay. Yeah. I played a, a Belching Beaver brewery with a, a guy named David David Spitzfaden. I've been to Belching Beaver. Yeah, dude. That peanut butter? Peanut. So good, Ooh, right? Boy. You drink <laughs> one, you feel like you ate a full steak dinner, but it's delicious. It tastes oh, like wait. a peanut butter cup. Oh, it's re- oh, And like coffee God. almost. It's super good. Oh, back wow. back when I had it, this must have a few years ago, um, we have the Sweet Baby J, the Sweet Baby Jesus, yeah. peanut butter porter or, or stout, whatever it is. Um and then my friends, I was on tour with some guys from San Diego. They're, they're like, well, the Belching Beaver has one. And I'm like, well, listen, we got that sweet baby Jesus over here. Not that it's local. So my pride was, you know, unfounded in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then I had it, and I was like, man, I bought T-shirts. Yeah. I, played, I bought beer. <laughs> I played there for a three-hour gig with this guy that was like a week notice. And that was the one I got. I got the, um, I asked the guy, I always ask bartenders or like people at restaurants. I was like, what do you recommend? She was like, people like our peanut butter stout. 
Mm. And I was like, let me try that. She didn't say everybody. She said people. (laughs) (laughs) They they also do the Deftones beer. Is that correct? Yeah, they have the Deftones on there. I didn't try it, but I saw it. My girlfriend loves Deftones, so I was like... I want to. I'm. I'm interested in this. I also like that band. They're, they're great. Oh yeah. I like. I love the band. I can't listen to more than four tunes. It's a. It's heavy. I, and I it's love heavy, those man. four tunes. You know who else? The Quicksand, who just put a new album out after a bunch of years. It's like the um, the other Deftones. Yeah. Check that out. I, you should check out a band from the UK called Loathe. Loathe. They're they're like they're like Deftones meets death metal. And it's really interesting. I death, really like it. Death metal tones. <laughs> Basically. Death metal. All right, go ahead. No, they're sweet, but... Um, I can feel this wine. I don't drink wine very much. I don't either. <laughs> About to turn up. About to turn up. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> Happy bubbly, man. Happy bubbly. So I, I want to segue a little bit, and I, I do I do want to ask you um, to, to describe what, what it's like to have a dad that is as talented as you are. And uh, maybe he's not. I don't know. Uh, and what influence? <laughs> <laughs> what what influence did I, I believe that he is? He <laughs> is. Um, and what influence did he have on your musical taste and and your journey? And um, did and then this is kind of a loaded question, but uh, was there an expectation for you to have to play? Okay, the expectation thing I can do quick. No, good. Because he was always like, you need to go into accounting. <laughs> what a good dad. You know, he's like music. Like he, he could tell, I guess, when I was, you know, yeah. learning about it. He could tell, but he was like joking about it, of course. But he's like, go into accounting, man. It, it's a hard it's a hard thing, music. But um, the expectation, never. Um, and funny enough, he, he, shaped, he shaped my, he more shaped my musical taste with like videos I would have like like DVDs of like Dream Theater. Okay. And um I think and, that's perfectly fine. And even <laughs> even less less them being his um my granddad's like his dad's he they both were in a band at the time too. He was a drummer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. No, no they, way. A band called Time After Time. And uh he was the drummer, my dad was a singer. Um so I was always around that. And I that was before I could even really remember things. So I vaguely remember it, but that musical thing, and then apparently, personally, I never met my great grandfather, who was um, my granddad's dad, was a bass player. I had no idea, and I found out because we have this OG Music Man Stingray, one of the first like made, and I was like, "Where, where is this?" And then they told me the story. He used to play with, I think the story is he's played with people that have played with Elvis in this area at the time in which he was doing it. And there I found in that case like old paper with notes written on it like I think that's a big thing that that shaped me. I think it was a combination of that. So my dad never forced it. He was just like listening to music and I was around it, but I never got into it. I actually got really into learning when I lived in New Jersey, which I wasn't with my dad at that time. And that was when I had Ken as a teacher, when I got really lucky and he Mr. Miyagi'd me <laughs> basically, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So having that, having that was cool. And here's another quote from my dad. I was asking him to teach me guitar or bass at one point, and he was. That's when he was like, "You need to learn from Cam." He was like, "It's like doing brain surgery on your own child. Your your child doesn't want to listen to you, so it's hard to teach." So that's why he was trying to man, push it out. Man, uh, your dad knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so I'm gonna save all all my stories with your dad until he comes on the show. And that's only fair. <laughs> uh, but I, I've known him for a long time. He's always been quite wise when he comes down to it. And uh, and that's true. Practical. You you don't 
you know, I'll go ahead and say it. I was witnessing some of this today. Like, uh, my lady is teaching my daughter how to read. That's just the, where we are right now with her age and COVID and she's not in actual school. Yeah. She, and uh, man, kudos to her for doing that. What a task. But I watch them bicker just because A, mom has an ex- expectation and B, the kid sees you as mom. Yeah. Right. So, so it's, there's a, there's a thing there that I'm not even inclined to talk about. Travis is a behavioralist. He can probably speak to it better. I, if my, if my child gets into music and uh, I won't deter her, but I, uh, I will, I will encourage her no matter what she does, but if she gets into music, I don't really want to teach her. I might show her her first few things and then send her on her way and then meet her mm-hmm. circle back around Yeah, because it's like doing brain surgery on your own child. The investment is there and you're going to try to live vicariously through them. And you're also going to try to correct every mistake you made through them. And I mean, maybe that's not true in all cases, but I think it's true in a lot of cases. Yeah. So good on him. Good on you, Dr. S- Dr. Steve Gross. No, I, I'll share a quick story. He, um, we, we played at a photography shop, your dad and I, and he, I didn't play with him. Uh, I actually heard him perform the first time. And this was when I was, young and and up and coming and trying to to make my own name and um they were gracious enough and this is when he was playing with my cavens my cavens asked him to come play and he sang and i was like oh my god this voice like it's unlike anything i've ever heard at least here in roanoke um and um I asked that question because I think it like I said earlier it's important to know where our roots are and you know uh I mean, it, I think it's cool too that you have uh, you have a dad that plays plays music around here too, and you you do as well. And I, you know, I wanted to give. Um, I know this is your podcast, but I want to give him kudos no, as well. Definitely, so, he's um, a big part of it. Yeah, half, and I think that's my, cool. Half of my stuff, you know, half the people I run into are like, "Oh, Steve's your dad," you know. <laughs> like half the people are like, "I'm like, yeah." Those and lovely locks t- that you're wearing right now. <laughs> you get t- do you get tired of it? No, be honest. Because it, it's not enough to bother me. Because I really have my own music. It's very different than my dad's music. The way sure. the way I really want to play. And so I had my own path where people had no idea. But then I would play in some of the bands where I was filling in and certain styles that were closer to it. And they'd be like, "Oh, you know, like uh, Carlos, the the drummer that he lives in Knoxville now." Yeah, uh, I knew him through my dad, and Carlos was one of those drummers, like Fred, who really taught me how to to gig professionally mm-hmm. and how to do it right and whenever i'd mess up he would let me know he'd be like if you were any different person i would have trouble with you right now and he would like guide me in a way carlos you know? carlos would be a hard ass sometimes yeah, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> i don't know the guy carlos i don't good and well we'll get him on here at some point off oh, sh- shout out to carlos he's he's a good time i i my 21st birthday elefante I went out with him and my dad was like be careful Carlos will Carlos will make you make you do more. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you like to play all the music that you play, or uh... I like most of it. It, do, it I like it in the moment if I'm playing it live. So uh, anything I play live, I do in the that's moment. That's a cool answer. Good. I haven't heard that answer before. I'm gonna write it down. Yeah. So yeah. So in the moment, it's always fun. But you know, uh, is it my is all the music I play my preferred music that I listen to? Definitely not. I wish I could play more metal music a lot of the time, which is something I got into after I got tired of jazz. And then I found these just crazy metal bass players that really inspired me to learn an even different way to approach playing. Like uh, the guy in Periphery, uh, Nolly Get Good. 
cra- I saw one bass playthrough of how he plays the song Prayer Position, and I had to learn it. I spent, even in college, you know, usually songs take me like a couple minutes, maybe to an hour if it's hard. That song took me months to learn, mm-hmm. and I did it for my junior recital with a band. Still had a hard time with it, and that's the that's something that excites me. Is it's that like, on your Facebook? Yeah, it is. I saw that on your Facebook. So I watched it. Difficult. It was that was awesome. So that was cool. Difficult. Thank you. <laughs> that was cool. I watched that the other day. Oh man, the heart of a musician. Like I'm hearing you talk about just how difficult it is and how much time you put into it. And I've definitely got a few of those that I did. You probably have some. But no, nowadays I do. it's not. That is not on my radar. I still appreciate it. Like it was. Yeah. But it's just not on my radar anymore. I, I just uh, finished a run at Mill Mountain with um in the Heights and I, I haven't played Latin since I left college. Yeah. And it it was really difficult. And thank God I had Jeremy there uh as my, my teacher mentor to help me figure out, you know, three two son and cascara and cascara. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I, I you you learn so much about yourself in those moments yeah. when you when you just let go and let learning kind of take its place and man uh i feel i feel much better as a drummer i will say also with the latin thing you mentioned learning in la oh god so (laughs) much latin music i mean one of the drum teachers who i adore awesome teacher i i i didn't realize how what he's done until like one of my last quarters because i had to play a tribal tech song gary willis joey heredia the drummer on that song was is a teacher at lacm and he just outstanding. I mean, just amazing. And we had Ralph Humphrey, and we had uh, the the drummer that just recently passed away played with. Um, I can't remember the name. I'm super bad with names. Um, one of the blues guys, OG, really crazy, killing blues guy, kind of progressive blues. Zappa. Okay. He played with like the the original drummer for Zappa. He, he was a teacher at the school. Having those guys and having the Latin people and and being in LA at that time, I learned so much about just that that style of music. I did um, an Elise Regina song on one of my recitals, mm-hmm. just playing that stuff like Partido Alto style and Bossa Nova. Partido Alto. That, I, oh man. I nearly said, um, when you said, uh, or when you said Cascada, Cascada. I, nearly, I nearly said we just lost, we just lost half our listeners. <laughs> um, that, those style, that style of music, it's it's storytelling, it's ceremonial, yeah. it's something you need to live if you really want to do it. Yeah. I, I will gladly say I don't do it as authentically probably more authentically than some in our area. So happy to share with a guy like Travis, but you don't, you don't see me just showing up at salsa jams. So I'm like, Hey, I got this. Yeah, no, yeah. sir. Um, and a lot of music is that way. A lot of music is ceremonial yeah. and, uh, communicative. And so it's cool to, that you were out there in LA experiencing that version of, so it's still music, right? Still yeah. the same 12 notes. It's, it's still rhythm, but the way it's spoken could not be more so, different. Yeah. And the more in tune you are to yourself, the more you can actually feel how you may or may not be qualified to p- play that music yet. Definitely. And I hear it go the other way. I hear a lot of people, um, you know, I love Brazilian musicians and, um, you know, uh, Cuban musicians. Sometimes they, they come over into the, the American scene and you can hear where they might. I don't say they get stuck. You can just hear it's not where they're from. You yeah. know, we are communicating. We exactly. are speaking through a different medium when we play music. 100%. And I will say with that, being from the South helped me in a lot of the genres. We got a thing. We got a thing. That are <laughs> like a lot of the genres, the feel. When you go over to, to a place like L.A. and people aren't from somewhere that has that like really blues 
southern like just behind the beat thing yeah you that helped me with a lot of stuff that's when people were like man your, your feels great like drummers love playing with that kind of feel and that being from the south it really helped with that big time you'd be a little lazy in places exactly and it actually turns out being funky exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly there's a southern soul vibe i i wasn't even aware of it until i left and did what i did and it was spoken to me and then i started paying attention and uh i played a gig last thursday and uh, a drummer friend of mine was at the gig and he's like man i like how your two and four is always late and he was not being a jerk he yeah, was yeah. like i like it and i like like, it, yeah. I, I don't know how to i do know how to play it early but you're gonna see you can see my eyebrows like this the whole night if i play it that way yeah <laughs> and uh that's the beauty of it you know we play with the people that make us feel comfortable and make us feel like we can tell our story exactly. doing that and then we also challenge while i'm running my mouth we also challenge each other in different ways you know there are people that can play different styles of music and you were talking about how you know there's a teacher who obviously or you said something about maybe one or two of your teachers that uh, would teach you something, but they had a little bit of humility behind it. They would say, like, let's work on this. You said this little... Together, yeah. Together, and they would be own that humility and obviously probably pick it up quicker than you because they do that more. Exactly. But it's not just... So in the musical world, you can be handed an ass whipping, but it's an ass whipping with a smile. Yeah. With the hopes that you practice and take that ass whipping and share it with somebody else mm-hmm. and um especially in nashville they love handing out ass whippings big old grins sure, i won't say man. ass whipping anymore on this podcast <laughs> we have a five a five ass whipping limit <laughs> but it is how it works and it's all in good nature and it's all just to push the art yeah well it's humbling to hear how you got your ass whipped Oh, you know, definitely. With, uh, I went over <laughs> i did that on purpose um no it, it is and i think um we need to say that more often. Like episode uh, nine, Alex Gross's ass whippings. Oh, I, I'm naming it. Uh, giving some and taking some. I'm naming this episode Gross Bass Licks, bro. Okay, I, moving on. Um, I'm down with both. Um, so thus far, you have literally been our youngest um, guest to date, and uh, what what I would like for you to do is give our younger listeners um, some advice on how to begin playing in the music scene and also talk to our older, more seasoned viewers and listeners, uh, what it's like to be the young gun playing with an older group of members. Yeah. So for the young people, I'd say open your ears to older music. First of all, because you're you're gonna, you're gonna learn more from that about playing the new stuff on top of, you're going to relate to a lot of the people you're playing with a lot more. Okay. Like, every band I played with, except for my very first band, and maybe the ones I have had recently, I was the youngest guy. Every time. Every time. Again, a loaded question. I did my research. So, keep going. It never never felt, especially when, when, because I I listened to that kind of stuff already, because I really dove deep into that feel. And being a bass player, you listen to a lot of old bass players. That's because... That's just how it is. You just listen to that genre because bass in the modern era has a lot less to to pull from from certain people. At the time in which I was growing up, now there's a bunch of people that are really you can take from. But at the time, it was like I was taken from all the old old school stuff. And so when you learn from that and you go play with some of these older guys, you just it's almost non-existent the age gap when when you know it when you feel the same thing they feel. And as far as the older guys. 
be be strong on the young people, but don't be jerks. Because I've had that too. I've had people because because I play with a lot of soul. I play with a lot of funk bands and soul bands. I was white and young. People would be like, "Man, he doesn't know." And then <laughs> when I would play, they'd be like, "Oh, I get it. It's just what you listen to." Yeah. yeah. So be open. I'd say for the for the older people, it, not all. Alice, Alice Grossman told the old people to be nice. <laughs> he said, be nice. And, and with that, I've had so many. And the reason I am who I am is because of those nice older people. They Aww. helped me where it was missing. And I helped them, I guess, understand that it wasn't just generational. Because I'm you know, 25 years old. I have a whole lot more in my brain that's old, way behind me than I do now. Like young And, and there is an experience that comes with that olderness. Yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. But as a younger player, you do want to be heard yeah. and you want, you want that chance to be, um, you said, uh, you said olderness, <laughs> olderness. I'm going to say age, age. That's, I mean, that's fine too. I'm, uh, I'm going to use olderness from share, now. <laughs> share the experience. You know, you it's, have the experience so share it in a positive way. That's how I feel. Well, that's, that's kind of how you develop that, that sense of uh, chemistry within yeah. that group. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. As I mean, you said it, <laughs> the ones that are jerks, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, I've, I've, I've sat in it. It's, it's hard. It's hard. And, to, and I'll say this, there's a lot less jerks than there are nice people. No, there are a whole lot less, but when you run into one, it affects you more for some reason. That's just how the human brain works. Like you, you really take in the, the bad things a lot better for some reason, you remember them more. But I'll say that I've had so many more good experiences right. with older people, and and, and it's awesome because well, then they're surprised at you. Well, like I said earlier, you're quite concerned with your craft, so it hits you hard when they would give you some ish yeah. that you weren't prepared I'm, for. I'm sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sensitive, but you want to better yourself in those yeah. ways, obviously. You went yeah. to Los Angeles and studied music for a couple of years. So um, I think you've said some really wise very very wise things like like, uh, if i can digress or regress when you said uh when travis said we asked most of our guests this do you like all the music that you play we've talked about it before we started the podcast we talked a lot about this and you said i like it in the moment that's a buddhist answer i don't know if you know this Mm. that is a that is definitely a buddhist answer but then saying you know telling the kids to open your ears to older music i didn't like hearing that when i was young yeah and I think it was different. I think the kids, the, the cats that were putting on music when I was young were s- still on to some new trends. Yeah. But as I age, I find myself going back further. Yeah. Not looking into the future. For, it's not the musicians aren't good. It's that we stand on the shoulders of giants. Definitely. And it might take you some time to realize that. But if you, if you listen back. And then, and, and then to also say, hey, old folks, be easy. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they're coming from, I mean, I know a lot of old players. They'll remain nameless. They're fantastic at what they do. Usually one or two trick ponies. Yeah. I love learning from one, two trick ponies. I want to learn that trick. They're really good at that trick. Man. But I, I'm not I'm not in your rodeo. Yeah. I'm on a different journey. So it's really nice to hear you say all this stuff. And I think this might be one of, well, I'm not going to say that. It's just a, a very informative uh, no, take. No, for somebody Thank who's you. 25, I mean... Yeah. I'm 10 years older and I don't have half the wisdom that you do. No, I mean, I don't believe that. No, I know you don't, but like, and I, I don't mean that in a negative sense to myself. I'm, I'm learning through this and this yeah. is, I'm, I'm just getting so much and, um, I'm, I'm still, still a very baby musician, even in this town. Uh, and, and that's fine. I, what I love is that you, the, I love the whole theme of humbleness and I, I've, I've seen that quite often with a lot of our guests Man, you that, would be that, 
go ahead. So no, no, no. I was just going to say that that musicians from this area uh, are not only talented, but they're humble in a sense to where they're they're willing to give back to not only the community but to our other musicians. And I just think that's really beautiful. We. You know, you know where you stand. If you don't own it somehow, some way, know your ability, know where you stand, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, know what you're okay at. That's valid. You know, there's some things I'm okay at that I wouldn't, like Latin stuff. I wouldn't go just do that anyway. Know it, own it, and be you. That's how you develop like a clear conscience in your conversation with other people. And you're like, I'm not good at this, I'm good at this. That's where the ego, you can just put that on the ground and hang out and learn. And musicians... Um, who are up and coming, like, this guy's great, and this guy's great. And then the people on the outside looking in, like, well, this guy's super cocky because he's a musician, he's a singer, he thinks his ish don't stink, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, some of it's true, but when you really boil it down, we know what we're good and bad at. We know what we need to work on. And what you find here is people uh, willing to talk about it and willing to expose it and make it better. We just want to push each other. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening. It's a, it's it's really cool to hear some of the stuff you're saying. I, I think you're going to go really really far, actually, dude. Alex, you're going to crush it. Can man. I play? I want to play congas in your band. I, I just want to play. I want to play with you. Can in you, your band? Can can I be in the band? Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, everybody come! It's <laughs> the Roanoke Symphony Orchestra. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. One of one of my final questions I I, I like to ask, um, especially within these first ten episodes, since you're number nine. Um, you know, we we talk a lot about a lot about the the experience that we have on stage, but but that experience for some of us it it, it needs to be a financial um, yeah. existence. So, can you talk to our viewers about how important the 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 money aspect is for you? Is it supplemental or is it like this is going to be the life thing for you? So, I'll say this: I'm very lucky. Um, I'm very lucky in having support that I do. I it's so important to have the financial side of it right. And I'm still learning that. That That's probably, if I know something, I know very little about the financial side of it. And that's something that I, I want to learn and I need to learn. So it, it is, it's extremely important, but it's also extremely important to know everything about it. Yeah. Because if you don't and you go in thinking, oh, I'm going to make a hundred dollars for this gig and it's three hours and you, you, you're making this much per hour. You can't divvy it up like that. You're putting so much more time into it. Yeah. You have to know all aspects of what you're actually putting into it. Like you, and another thing is you're, if you p- take something that's going to take up, you know, eight days of your time or something, that's only like one or two gigs and you get other offers, you're losing money by doing that yeah. and not doing other things that are offered to you. Mm-hmm. So it's so important. And that's something I'm still I'm still teetering. And all, all those things are super important. And, you know, whoever's listening to this, and, I, you know, I hope it grows more, but you might be in one of these bands who's offering a gig to somebody who's in Alex's situation, who's busy and, and might end up losing money doing your gig. You know, everybody's out here doing the best that they can, and it should be understood as yeah, such. Exactly. You can't, you can't go into a situation with a guy that's going out of his way for you and make it hard on him when he's already pushing for you and losing something to do what something with you. 100%. Which I have experienced before. It's people people expect certain things and it's like you have to expect me to do what's best for me and I'm always going to try what's best for you as well. I've showed I up can. to a rehearsal where people weren't prepared, you know, and then yeah. it it that 
leads on and parallels to to the gig, and it, yeah. it just is. It's tough being it's, that guy yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, no, and I've I been that guy. I have yeah. also been that guy. You know, I'm not to just call out anybody, but yes, you're exactly right. It's I have been that yeah. guy. Learn from learn from that feeling is what I'd say because it's bad. It's uncomfortable. Also, be on time. Oh, oh come on. That's something. <laughs> that's something that I I've never had that problem. I except for if I am late to something, it hurts so bad. It feels so bad. But I've experienced too many musicians. He was seven minutes care. early, ladies and gentlemen. Give him props. He okay. was. <laughs> we hung out for forty five minutes before we did the podcast. <laughs> he is correct. Be on time. It, it's not even for your own integrity. It's for the integrity of whoever called you. Let them exactly. let them know that you care that much. That you res- at least respect their time and check just it out as much as yours. If you're gonna be late, let them know. That's it. It's that it's plain simple. and simple. That's simple. Super simple. Unless you're letting them know every time, then then don't do that. Then but quit. But do let them know. <laughs> quit. Somebody will take that job or get fired. Whatever. <laughs> you know. All right, Jeremy. The, we're gonna hit him with the buddy gauntlet. The buddy gauntlet. Did you send Alex these questions? I did not. Oh well, I mean, like your your general question. I did send him my general. Okay, questions. so we do three questions that are you don't get sent. Got it. Let me make my notes. Top three influences, musical influences. Oh, they change daily, man. I love it. Sweet. Uh, I What's will, today's? That could be it. Number two. No, I'm kidding. If you got three, let me know. I, I can. Okay, Miles Davis, one of the best. Don't play. He, he knows which notes to play that are really nice. Um. These are just rapid fire. So Miles Davis would be a huge one for me. Um, I'm going to say Pino Palladino. Amazing studio bass player and plays with so many people. Pino is always going to be on my top bass list. And then I'll do a new one. Right now, I would say a a really awesome bass player right now for me is um, between Jacob Umansky and... um, the guy from Periphery, uh, Adam Nolly, get good. Those two are my two right now. Get good. Yeah. What's Adam Nolly, get good. I saw Nolly. N O L L Y. I think. Pretty sure. Get good. Yeah. Your top non-musical influence. Non-musical. Influence. It could be in life. It could be in music. It could, but but the the influence itself. I love movies, man. I'm a huge movie guy. Does that count? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love learning from shows and movies because they have a lot to say. What do you learn from them? So I can talk about Naruto. I can talk about Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm all about it. Let's stop the podcast and keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, just just how to really deal with certain things and, and how to, to handle emotions in the correct way because you, you can see how they don't and you can see how through... Even if it's fake, because you, you can say it's TV all day, but how some of these characters handle the problems and how they move forward with a good mindset and how they get better from it, it's, that translates big time in life. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna interject and say, but most of the those two examples you gave are uh, based off of other cultures, and it, yeah. I think that's really really imperative for us. I'm to gonna, definitely. I'm gonna definitely. Ha- hand uh, Alex's pen. I got a word for you. I want, oh, didn't make didn't mean to make you move, but uh, but I obviously wasn't moving. <laughs> Somebody had to. Um, I've got a word for you. I'm still the young guy, so I got to move. Vipassana, V I P A S S A N A. Vipassana. Your answers have 
pointed in a direction that you've, I, you don't know what Vipassana is, right? I don't. Can no. I have that pin back? Yeah. This time I'm going to toss it. You okay, I'll get it. It's a, it's a style of meditation. And the word, I think, I think it's a poly word that translates to seeing things as they are. As easy as that is for me to say, it is a practice when you sit and close your eyes. And I highly encourage you, to, as you start this career, start thinking about things as you already do. But maybe you get some guidance here. Vipassana. Look into Vipassana. Definitely. And if you struggle with it, send me a message, and I'll send you some uh, teachers that you may not struggle with. Some teachers you might struggle with. But I doubt okay. it. It's a very practical meditation. Okay. And I don't have any time to go into it further. But check it out because you're echoing a lot of things. It's as if you've studied it already. Um, nice. Name one opinion that you you held and, and you changed it. One opinion that you just held strongly to and you just changed your mind. Could be anything. So this, this is something I'm still working on, but don't hate on people that so so there's this thing of there's this culture behind Instagram right now and music where it's like all these chop guys. So many people are doing so much stuff. And it's at the at, at certain points you're like is this like it's enough? Like I, where's the musicality behind it? But something I've learned is there's so much going on in their brains at that point that there's so much musicality happening there that if they even deconstructed it a little bit, mm -hmm. you can take pieces of it. So just being kind of opposed to all this crazy chop stuff. Mm -hmm. That's something a lot of people I've noticed are, and that's something that I've kind of shied away from because it's like appreciate what everyone can do for yeah. different reasons. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't shun things just because they're different than what you can maybe do or what you think. You know? Yeah, um, that's a really interesting one because uh, a lot of people have their feelings. Uh, I, I've been told I chop too much. I've been told I play like a drum machine. I would like to tell everybody, come to more than one gig. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, that's not your choice. Mm -hmm. And if people are watching it and you don't like it, don't watch it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and don't watch it with zero sense of judgment. Like, can you look at a chop on Instagram and be like, oh, I'm over it. Or can you look at it, oh, it's an amazing chop. Can you go and just let it go mm -hmm. without your opinion? Vipassana. <laughs> I think you, I think you're on to some ish right now. Nice, I man. Alex, it's been so good having you. Are we playing some a tune? We are gonna play a tune. Uh, do you want to introduce this tune? Uh, sure. Um, it's Clueless, right? Yeah. This is uh the band that I talked about in the beginning. This is the band that I I met the drummer at LACM, the school I went to, and he was just like, "Hey, I have this band. You know, we're we're putting something together. Like, come play." And I ended up meeting one of my best friends. The his name's Adrian Fatu. One of my best friends, amazing guitar player, and then uh, a songwriter, his name's Oscar, and then the drummer, Zach. I mean, a project that I wish could still be together, and uh, I'm still friends with kind of everyone in there, but, man, it's it's a cool thing. Was it, was it a Los Angeles thing? Yeah, an LA okay. thing, yeah. Something uh, when I first got there, and over COVID, it kind of just melted out. But the guy that produced this song, um, his name's Jonah. He's with Audio Mac Production. He he is Audio Mac Production, but he's Travis Barker's personal assistant to like oh, record his videos, and he worked on a lot of some of the new records that he's been with. So it it was, and he got that gig while working with us. It was really it was a surreal thing. You know? Nice. It was cool. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Alex Gross. This is Clueless. Uh, sorry, Color Color of Nothing by uh, Clueless. Clueless by, by color, color of Nothing. Sorry, so sorry. All good, man. Um, it's got an E next to it. Is it, is it explicit? Kind of. I Let's mean, go. not really. Not really. <laughs> I don't know why it's Spotify. Like, so, a, like it has one. It has one customer. I right. thought that E stood for excellent. I think so too. Um, excellent. Beats, brews, and buddies. Alex, thanks for coming. Yeah, man. thank you thank guys you so, so much. much uh, this is Clueless by Color of Nothing. Got it right that time. Bye, guys. We'll see you next time. It's okay.